Time for the Value Legacy Part 2. Vinod Krishnan from Arch, Managing Director, is here with me once again. My name's Tim Elliott, the host of the podcast. Vinod, who have we got to look forward to today, sir? Today we have uh, Mr. Saeed Al-Malik, the CEO and founder of Middle East Fuji, a ship supplies and services company in the UAE. What attracted us to the Al-Malik story is the power of social capital, one of the four components of spiritual capital that we talk about that most of the ship supplies companies are family business owned is significant. Uh, That they coordinate with each other to grow their network is remarkable. ESA, which is the Association uh, of International Ship Supplies and Services, uh, and the way Saeed has worked to tighten the structure as uh, one unit is inspirational for us or for any family business network. We work with Saeed uh, on his family constitutions and some components of ESA and he's a man with several stories to tell. Welcome to the Value Legacy. Now, our guest today earned a bachelor's degree in business administration in 1988. He began his career in banking, rising through various managerial roles. However, while he was with Citibank in Singapore, he realized the potential opportunity in the marine industry. Now, at that time, there were no UE citizens involved in shipping-related business uh, businesses in the Emirates. And he saw it as an opportunity to set up on his own. And so in 1993, he set up ME Ship Stores as a sole proprietorship. Just six years later, in 1999, he founded the UAE chapter of the London-based The International Suppliers Association, ESA, along with DP World. Today, he's the founding president of UNSA, which is the UAE National Ship Suppliers Association. He's also the first ever UAE national, in fact, Arab national, to be elected chairman of the International Ship Suppliers and Services Association. That's also known as ESA. Saeed Al-Malik, thank you for joining us on The Value Legacy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Looking forward to I want to start off in the now uh, rather than the the beginning, if you'll indulge me for a second. We'll come to the history, your story of building the family business in a moment. But you were elected chairman of ESA, the International Ship Suppliers and Services Association, in December 2017. And as I've mentioned, the first Arab national to hold the post. I wonder if you can talk me through what that's meant for you for the UAE, for the association's members, uh, but also for ESA as well? Hmm. Well, it all started back in 1994, 95, if I remember correctly, when I established this company of Middle East ship stores, um, I heard about a gathering for ship suppliers and service providers worldwide once in a year. So I planned a visit to participate in that event. Surprisingly, uh, that event happened in Athens, I remember correctly, in 1994 or 95. And uh, 
I also had a few friends who were were actually in the same line of business from Singapore that wanted to also visit the same event. So we visited that event and we saw many participants, more than a hundred ship suppliers and service providers in the world gathering together, celebrating in one way, but at the same time there were small exhibition and small conferences to discuss about the challenges and the benefits of the ship supply and service industry. I liked it. I saw a lot of positiveness in that. I saw a lot of benefits because the supply and service industry requires you to have or be well-connected worldwide. Ships travel around the world. They change ports and countries from time to time. So that basically uh, helped me to establish my worldwide network. And I started basically appointing agents and representatives. Ship suppliers were basically appointing each other as representatives to each other worldwide. And then I realized that ESA will definitely have a future. The Ship Supplier and Services Association, the International Ship Suppliers and Services Association, was founded in The Hague in Holland in 1955, had a lot of potential of growing as a strong international association uh, since they were basically established uh, and registered as an NGO status, non-governmental organization, in the United Nations. Uh, in the trade section of the United States, which is the IMO, the International Maritime Organizations. So it had the value and it had the strength of as a strong association by itself. Plus, there was another international association which we were a member of, which is the, the World Custom Organization, the WCO. So ESA had seats uh, in these positions because they were the NGO of uh, protecting the interest of the ship suppliers and service associations worldwide. So I started focusing on the ESA constitution and ESA governance, and I wanted to basically start getting involved from day one in the management of ESA. So I had my own dreams. I had my own intentions and started establishing relationship with all the board members and uh, built my relationship through the number of years, understood ESA very well. And with that uh, connection I had worldwide, I started collecting supporters. It was a long-term plan, to be honest, to become the ESA chairman because there are 40 countries uh, today who are members with the International and Ship Suppliers Association. So that's how it all started, basically. Um, Coming back again to the question of uh, what really this meant for me, for my country, and for the ship suppliers also. So all together, yes, I mean, once you become a chairman, everybody asks you, where is he from? You know, you, Mm. you basically say that, well, I'm from the United Arab Emirates. I realized that there were no other Arab country are actually in the General Assembly members, the National Association members or the uh, the Assembly members. There were no Arab country. So I approached the government authorities here in the UAE, in Dubai in particular, 
they were very happy to support me and they did and uh, i established the uae national ship suppliers association in 1999 and we had at that moment 18 members company members and uh, they were very happy and the government uh, was very supportive because they wanted to hear the voice of the ship suppliers and service providers in the country they uh, they supported us we established it we legalized it and we made a proper uh, general assembly elections uh, board members were elected and i was at then 1999 elected as the president and the founder of the UAE National Ship Suppliers Association. So um, that's how it all started. Uh, ESA is not just an association. ESA is like a family of ship suppliers worldwide. We try to help each other out. We basically not only support each other by uh, soliciting business for each other, but we also try and help each other if we are facing any problems, whether it is legal or operational logistic problems and challenges so it's really it feels like being in a family isa as an international association has also came up since the 1999 or 98 onwards we came up with products and benefits to the members that basically helped all members worldwide such as the isa ship stores catalog two catalogs we have established we have created a legal entity inside isa with a lawyer that provides consultancy of legal services to all members at a very low rate because the lawyers who are with isa we have two and they are both are registered that isa members because not only the ship suppliers can be members of isa but also the service providers for the industry Let me pick up on something you said there. You talked about your uh, building of international connections, the dreams that you had. Um and your vision was very clear, the 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 direction that you wanted to go in. But you also said I liked it. And this was something that clearly you really wanted to do. I can see the smile on your face <laughs> now. This was something that yes. really grabbed you, wasn't it? Mm. Well, I like challenges being a a sports person since the childhood I've played football tennis I played in you know even football I reached the level of a professional footballer for a few years until I got injured so I love challenges I found that the service provider or ship supplier business was a very challenging uh, sector of business you need to have lots of human factor in it plus the technology so it had to be the two combination you have to have it both perfectly otherwise it will never work right so uh the challenge was what i liked and the opportunities that i saw in the business uh was huge because at that time we had limited number of ship suppliers in the in the country and in the region and i saw a big potential i i knew that i had to work hard in the beginning but <laughs> i did see the fruits at the end of the road or at the end of the tunnel i did see that there is a huge potential in this business and i liked traveling and i liked meeting people 
different kind of people, uh, different nationalities, diff- uh, traveling to different parts of the world. So putting all that together, yes, I liked it. I can see why you became the chairman. I mean, it's all, it's all crystallizing <laughs> now. It's becoming clear. Um, the thing is, as well, you've made a great effort to, I guess, uplift Dubai's uh, presence on the world map. And, and in fact, the UAE's presence on the world map as the first Emirati to hold the position. You're up for re-election as well, am I right? Well, I got my uh, term has been extended because of the coronavirus pandemic around the world. Right. So General Assembly board members cannot meet physically. Mm-hmm. And the board has decided that they will approach the uh, General Assembly for a one-year extension until the situation improves for people to travel and meet. And uh, yes, uh, the term has been extended for a year. And a year later, I would have another opportunity to put my name in uh, for uh, another term of another three years. I do have the support, I believe, and uh, the General Assembly is actually in favor for me to continue my term of presidency. Luckily, I was successful in achieving uh, the uh, strategy that we put for the management to achieve uh, the benefits that we brought in for the members of ESA and for the association's status and level of presence in the maritime industry. Uh, I think we did very well. We came up with additional services and benefits for the members. We managed to Uh, keep a good relationship with maritime institutions and bodies around the world. We signed cooperation contracts. In the old days, unfortunately, we did not have that kind of a presence. But now ESA is recognized worldwide, uh, locally, internationally, uh, very well connected. So putting all that together, I think that basically... Uh, put me in a in a very strong position as one of the or the most successful ESA president that we have come across since 1955. Not because of me, but because of the uh, achievements we have uh, arrived at, uh, the achievements and the uh, the. Uh, the benefits that we managed to bring in for the members, all that together basically gave me a lot of credibility. And I must thank my board members also, because me alone would not be able to achieve all the uh, all the objectives that we set uh, for the association. Thanks for my uh, secretarial office in London. They also did a great job in the past three years of my uh, presidency. There is more to be done, of course. And we are coming to that soon, too. East is very much, a, correct me if I'm wrong here, but my feeling is it's very much a, a family business mentality. Is that a reasonable way to state it? Yes, you can say that. I think uh, it's fair to say that because 90% of the ship suppliers worldwide, they are family-based mm. companies. And uh, most of them would like to maintain it that way. So, yes, that is correct, actually. 
Let me ask you about your business. Let's go back to the beginnings, the history. Let, let, let's trace the history of your journey, for want of a better word, uh, in business. Yeah. Where, where did it all begin for you? Well, it began in the bank, actually, mm. uh, being a, a credit manager in a bank. Right. I had the opportunity to see all the uh, balance sheets and income statements of different sectors of business. I was thinking of... My dad was a businessman since the, since he was a, a young man. So why not I be a businessman? I didn't want to be an employee for the rest of my life, to be honest. So I said, well, what should I do? Or what should I start thinking of establishing or doing? So I came across different sectors of business. And the one I saw that is really, really promising was the maritime industry because of its limitations of UAE nationals being involved in that line of business. So I said, why not me? Why not establish something in the ship supply and service industry that is a proper 100% UAE national? And uh, let me see how that goes. And to be honest, I looked at it financially because a ship supplier is a, a middleman too. Mm. It doesn't require you to have a huge capital to start that business. So it suited my financial capability at that time. I didn't want to have any of my father's financial support. I wanted to do everything by my own from zero. I saved about three, 400,000 dirhams. I lost them all in the first year. <laughs> and... Uh, I was criticized by some family members. Right. And uh, I was just scratching my head. And I said, how can I now restart again, second year and third year? I lost money again in the second year. I borrowed about 100000 That's it. And I tried to basically help myself and manage the cash flow of the company in such a way. Being a banker, I managed to do it to sustain the business for another year, even though we had a small loss on the second year. The third year, things changed. I traveled more to the GCC countries and I got support from the Arab ship owners, mainly. And uh, with, uh, with some, uh, some business I got from Far East. So that managed, uh, I managed then to make a profit on the third year. The first two years were really, really tough for me. I had a few checks bounced in the market, so it was tough. But... They cooperated with us. We paid them, of course. Uh, a third year after that, things went went fine, I think. After Was there ever a point in those first two years where you thought, because you were getting criticism from the family, you'd had to borrow more money, you'd lost some money. Was there ever a point you thought, was this the right decision? Did you ever, how, how did you question yourself? I was confident of my decision. I was not regretting what I did. And I said, there is opportunity. Right. And I just was not lucky to get enough number of sales. And uh, as a new business, especially in this business, it's not easy to get customers because ship owners would like to or would want to deal with the people who have already dealt with and they trust because the ship stores and the ship spares, when you deliver them to a ship, the ship owner needs to trust you, needs to know you very well, needs mm. to make sure that you have enough infrastructure to be able to deliver the service or the product that they need. 
I didn't have the infrastructure then. People were coming to visit my office and they were seeing a small office in Al-Garhud branch. Where is your warehouse? I used to show them my dad's warehouse. <laughs> and they were saying, well, I don't see any spare parts here. I said, well, I'm not a spare parts, but um, I could basically manage to get you spare parts if you need one. But I'm a, f- I'm a, I'm a caterer. And um, they did know, I think. They realized it and they did know that I have limitations in infrastructure but uh, managed to convince that I used to deliver the stores myself in the middle of the summer in July. It was like 45 degrees, and the humidity in Dubai Dry Dock was 110%. So uh, I, I visited one, and I delivered a few stores and a refrigerator. The captain started shouting at me, uh, your refrigerator is not working because I basically supplied the wrong voltage on ships. You have wrong voltage. He said, well, I had limited experience then. I didn't know about it. Right. Well, I said, well, sir, I'll change it for you within an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the screaming and I heard the, uh, well, I got insulted, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but I learned the lesson. Mm. Um, went back immediately, delivered, the, re- returned the refrigerator and uh, delivered the right one before one o'clock, as I promised, and he liked it. And I never lost that captain again. And you were business. on your way. I mean, this is the point, isn't it? You, you, Really, your business after three years was a viable business, by the sound of things. It was viable business. I could see the business. I could see the profitability of it. But to get the initial business, to get your name of the company and your invoices on the captain's room in the captain's mm. room and to spread the name of the company around was basically the whole key success point i had to sacrifice the profit margin because i'm a starter i cannot basically go and compete with a, a big ship supplier and service provider mm. with a higher margin so i had to sacrifice the margin all i was after was a break even point right to to kick start the business so that's an example. And the other example was when I boarded a supply boat in Fujairah. Uh, the sea was rough then. Right. And my local dress didn't help at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, wearing, I was wearing my life jacket and uh, we supplied it. The captain, obviously, we couldn't go on board of the ship. You know, the tanker is like a building in the sure. middle of the sea. So we had to put everything in a plastic bag, the invoices and everything. Well, the stores get delivered by a crane. But the invoices and the supply was supposed to be made in cash. Right. I mean, the payment was supposed to be made in cash. After, so we sent the invoices up. So we received the cash, but the amount was about 20% less. So we contacted the captain. Captain, the money is 20% less. Where is the rest of the money? <laughs> he said, well, that's my discount. So said, well, you didn't tell us about the discount. So... Um, we, we, well, he's up there and we are in a shaky <laughs> supply boat. So, well, let's go back and then talk to the ship owner when we get to the office and maybe we get our money back. Mm. We never got that money back. And, uh, we lost that 20%. Basically that was a, a loss supply business that particular to that particular ship. But these were the experiences I got. So, and besides also, I was involved in the warehouse myself. Right. When we were checking the stores, we were packing the items. So if someone comes to me today to tell me that, you know, no, we can't do that, you know, you can't fool me. I I did all of that 
myself. No, you can do it. You can do it that way. If you can do it this way, you can do it that way. So yeah, I'll, that's why yeah, my plan hopefully is for my son or my kids when they come to the company, then I want them to start from point zero in the warehouse. That's a really refreshing thing to hear, I have to tell you. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Um, you've talked a lot about international connections and how important, how key that is for your business. And I know that your father traded in soft commodities, food material in the, in the 70s uh, here in the Emirates. And he was very much about building strong relationships, uh, friendships um, as part of his business. But I know that you in your business have very much taken that on board perhaps on a more international basis. I wanted to ask you about one of the region's, I guess, best-known trading names, Kimji Ramdas of uh, Oman. That's a relationship that you've fostered that has prospered. I wonder if you'd tell me that story. Well, as I said, the ship supply and service providers need, uh, need international network to be efficient and to be competent in the business. Yeah. And um, we had Navy ships at that time. It was the anti-piracy operation. So Mm. we had a a few Navy contractors, and their ships were basically coming to Oman a lot and um, to protect the Red Sea and the Somalia area where most of the piracy operations were happening. Mm -hmm. So they didn't want to basically come all the way in the Gulf and then get out and get the services and supplies and go back because there's uh, uh, limitations of ship stores and ship services in that area, in Yemen or at the entrance of the Red Sea. So they wanted to come to the nearest point, which was Salala at that time, Oman, basically. Yes. So we were using our agents, and uh, we get to know them, and we were using two agents. We were using Kanu Services, who are well established in the Gulf, mm-hmm. and we were using Kim Ramdas Shipping. And there was a gentleman there who was the CEO by the name of uh, Mr. Joes. Uh, Joes and I had a very good relationship. We understood each other very well. So Joes and I did about two years operation together, and we liked each other. We saw that we could basically enhance our businesses in other areas in Oman, not only basically for the Navy ship. So why don't we start the ship stores and supply business in Oman? We do a joint venture. And yes, that idea uh, I liked because uh, teamwork is always beneficial if it's structured very well. And the Kimji Ramdas family is a well-known family. Uh, They are well-established in Oman, and I saw them as a very a potential partner for me. And um, so we started talking to each other, and we saw a lot of area, other potential area of business that we are doing, in addition to that ship supply, was the, well, the other areas, uh, the marine engineering, of course, and the logistics and the trading. So putting all that together, I said, yes, we could shake hands and we could probably do a joint venture. And surprisingly, after the third year, Digging into my dad's old office in the old souk, um, I found one of his trading books, Credit. You know, there's a credit book that they used mm. to do handwriting. 
And I saw the name of Kimji Ramdas going back to the early 70s and late 1960s. And I said, oh my God, my dad had business with Kimji Ramdas and now I'm doing a partnership with them? <laughs> it's amazing. So I took a photocopy of that. I sent it to Anil and Nilish, the sons of uh, the big Kimji f- uh, father, and to Nilish's father, uh, Kanak Kimji. They were amazed. <laughs> Actually, wow. they were surprised. I said, Really? Destiny comes back, as they say, the history brings itself I was going to say, it was meant to be, maybe. Probably, mm. I don't know. But uh, I spoke to my, um, my dad's secretary, he's still here, he's old, uh, he's still here, and he told me uh, that we had an excellent relationship, we never had any problem in delivering anything to Oman or getting something from Oman from them. So they used to do trade in and out in between each other and then there was a book of outstandings and settlements in between each other. So we had a perfect relationship, he says, and uh, they were very, very, very kind and uh, they used to, we, your dad, when he used to visit Oman, he used to go and see the, the father of Kanak uh, in those days. So that's how it all then started, basically. Uh, that's an example of, I guess, a uh a regional relationship, a perfect regional relationship, hopefully. Let's look at a more international relationship that you have uh, prospered with. Uh, you have a long association with Japan's Fuji, and we're in the offices, your offices today. Yeah. Um, how did that begin? That was, the start of that was in, back in 1966 in London, and it was at the... IMPA, International Purchasing, International Marine Purchasing Association event, okay. which was also a, a contribution from Fuji that established that international association, along with the other international entities. They came up with IMPA, as ESA is a pure ship suppliers association to protect the interest of ship suppliers worldwide, whereas the IMPA was the International Maritime Purchasing Association, so they wanted to attract the customers to come to the ship suppliers, so they created the purchasing associations. Then, of course, it became an association, so we all became a member of that. So then I met Fuji president then. It was Mr. Fujimoto himself. I met Fujimoto-san. Uh, we had a chat. I have already background information about Fuji and how well-established they were. Uh, it's a very old company, family company in Japan, well-reputed, and they were the number one ship supplier at that time in the world. Conservative, but strong financially and well-established and well-organized. So him and I had a chat, and we were just chatting in their booth, basically, and talking to each other, and uh, they said that they have an office in Dubai. I said, well, I don't see your office in Dubai. I said, no, we just have a representative office in Dubai. We don't have, but we are actually interested to, to look into. I said, well, look, I'll make it very simple to you. I need you. You need me. He said, where are you from? He thought I was Indian because most of the ship suppliers at that time from here were all Indians and Pakistanis and, you know, from the Indian subcontinent, basically. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm a UAE national. He said, are you? <laughs> 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 uh, 
Ah, he said, well, I never thought that Arabs come and travel and do business. I said, no, that's not true. Uh, then he realized my accent. Uh, I had a bit of an American accent because I came from States then mm-hmm. and I had more stronger American accent. Now mine is basically mixed a British and American. I do this sometimes and I do that sometimes. <laughs> <But> anyhow, <laughs> um, I was thinking of, uh, Saeed, do you want to grow in 20 years or do you want to grow strong? 10 years or 5 years then uh, I needed an international network Fuji already had it yeah they were in Singapore they were in Rotterdam they were in London they were uh, in four in Singapore London Hong Kong so all major maritime ports were actually with Fuji so I said why don't we try each other out and uh, you use me and he was interested with a UAE national, pure UAE national, 100% ship supplier because he wanted long-term relationship. He didn't want a short-term relationship. So we agreed that we will test each other out and then we started an in-conjunction agreement or in-cooperation agreement to test each other out. And we did that uh, in 1998. Um, We started doing business and the benefits started to come in. Fuji transferred some of their business, well-known customers to us. Me, with my local contacts and the Arab contacts, I managed to bring some business to them. So it was fruitful already from the first, second year. And we all realized that we, we needed to grow. And we, I had my new warehouses in Algos. The government was so kind then because the rulers here are very supportive for the UAE nationals to start any business. So you, I got a leased land here in Algoz industrial area. I had a contracting company which was just newly established with a Canadian partner. I built my warehouses and I built my small office then uh, with whatever money I saved. I took a loan from the bank. I mortgaged my car. And uh, <laughs> and uh, when, when Fuji... Fujimoto-san came in 1998 to sign the contract. The warehouse was ready, but it was empty. <laughs> so when he walked with me and we signed the contract, we walked to the warehouse. And I opened, we opened the door and said, what's inside? So we opened the warehouse. It was all empty inside. He said, nothing. I said, well, what do you want? I said, well, I want to build the stock with you. <laughs> we don't have the background. We don't have the data. So I don't right. want to buy it. And he liked it when I told him that. I said, that's a smart move. He said, well, give me all the data you have. What are the fast-moving items for the ships? And then whatever money we have, we will start importing and increase our profit margin. He liked it. And uh, I remember we went for dinner that night, and I had my brother-in-law with me, Khaled Bakhar. I would never forget him. He passed away, unfortunately. And uh, he was very supportive, at least spiritually, <laughs> And uh, and since then, I think the relationship with Fuji basically started to enhance. I liked what we did because we did that two-year trial period, and then we did a very straightforward, simple joint venture agreement. And both of us basically ha- have high values for uh, for the word of honor, as they say. Mm. We trust each other very well. Uh, we... Um, we see a lot of opportunities with Fiji. We did a lot of business together, and uh, I think we can still develop it further because there's a lot more potential here in the Middle East. Japan is a matured country. 
the Middle East is a growing area, developing area, and they knew that. They knew that for sure, and they knew that this area would be the most successful Fuji subsidiary, and uh, it showed. It showed last year. Middle East Fuji became the most successful achieving numbers in, in Fuji Group. They knew that, but they needed, uh, as you've indicated, a partner with honor. That's very important, I guess, in 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 a Japanese mentality. Exactly. The whole thing was the. It, it's he asked me the same question three times. Are you? I, I, until I was forced, I had my passport in my suitcase, in my inside jacket, inside of my right. jacket. I pulled it out and I showed it. Well, I am a UAE national. I, he asked me the same question three times, and I think. It was part of his strategy. Uh, Fujimoto-san, after he took over from Koike-san uh, as the ex-president and chairman, when he took over, he had his managerial strategy objectives to create a worldwide network. Mm. And he couldn't find a potential partner in this region to complete the Fuji worldwide network. So... This area was very important because 70, 75% of the world tankers and gases actually get, get loaded here, get discharged, not discharged, but gets loaded here. And they're owned by the countries that are in this area. Mm. So they were smart. They knew what they were doing, of course. And uh, I think they picked the right partner. And I think uh, we are both happy with each other now and we are both planning to continue as long as we can. What have you learned from, I mean, I guess there must have been a great deal to learn from that uh, very conservative Japanese style of doing business? I actually liked it. Uh, My dad was a very aggressive businessman and he lost a lot of money. In the 1970s, he was one of the biggest cash holders in the whole Dubai, if you come to know about it. I remember I saw in his one of his bank accounts, he had more than 180 million dirhams in those days, 1971. That was wow. when UAE was established. 180 million meant 1.8 billion today. And where did that money go? He took the risks, and then he lost a lot of his money because of that. But the Japs are very conservative. Mm. And I like that because... Um, you could easily lose money in ship supply business because the ships are owned by someone, managed by someone, and then that management company gives the agency to another third company. So by the time you reach the real owner of the ship, where your money and liability stays, uh, your credit or money stays with, it's really difficult to recover the money if you have a bad debt. So uh, the mentality of... The Japanese, or at least Fuji, if I know well, uh, very conservative, but very carefully studied and uh, uh, very, uh, what can I say? What's the the right English word? They are very, they would sacrifice themselves for business, believe it or not. I mean, we, we started our marketing with them in those days. We used to sleep like three, four hours a night. And we go back to the hotel at 1 o'clock, uh, 2 o'clock. By the time you get in bed and you go to sleep, it's like 2.30, 3 o'clock. At 6.30, he's already in the lobby. 
I said, well, it's 8 o'clock breakfast. What are you doing here at 6.30, for God's sake? Why do you have to ring me in my room? Just wait for me and I'll come. <laughs> but then, of course, yeah, they, were, they are very dedicated. They are well organized. They are conservative, but I think that is beneficial. They are not too conservative, but they are conservative. And they are well informed. Said, let's uh, go back to yourself uh, just for a moment. We've talked at great length about the business, your relationships, but I'm wondering if you can talk me through your philosophy for the business, the principles you live by, because it's very clear listening to you that you had a, a laser focus and you knew exactly the direction that you wanted to go in, which not that many people have, but I'm wondering where that comes from, where those principles come from, um, and really where that philosophy germinated from? That's a very difficult question. It, it is. It's putting you on the spot. I apologize. Um, I really don't know, but I think it's just a personality. Um, I had a clear vision. Hmm. I had a clear vision in my mind of what exactly I want to do and to be able to do the next step or the next task, uh, we had to get the first one first done or perfect. So it was a roadmap, actually, for me. Okay. It was a strategy. It was a vision. But at the same time, it was a roadmap. I need to reach point A first to be able to reach point B and then to be able to reach point C and then D and then E. So the plan... Uh, was there, uh, I would probably say the focus comes mainly because I was an athlete since I was a child. I had to basically follow a ball. You know, a ball is very small, by the way. <laughs> in, a, in a football uh, ground or a stadium, you need to follow a ball. So I need to be focused all the time. So I was focused since my young ages when I was playing football in a Lahli club. Um, uh, I liked reading books. Uh, in a way, I mean, not too many, but at night before I go to bed in my young ages, I used to love read historical books, uh, histories, uh, historic books. Uh, I never read business books, never. Do you still not read business books? No, never. Never. Because that's a point of view of a person. Hmm. He will give you advice from his point of view. If you want to learn, I think, from the business is uh, that has to come from you reading different uh, situations of the world and then you analyze it yourself. I mean, if you ask me today, I've been watching what George Soros is doing when it comes to gold trading. I've been watching uh, what reports are coming out of J.P. Morgan. How is their view in business? I mean... Uh, Successful businessmen, uh, I don't read their books, but I read what they have done, what they have achieved, where were they before, where, what they have achieved. And in between, they would never tell you their secrets, how they did it. They will probably just tell you, you have to be this or you, you need to do this. Mm. But I really don't think that will be helpful for anyone to start or basically copy that and try and do it for himself. It doesn't work that way. 
I mean, you're building a business for the long term, a family business for for generations. So that clearly yes. does need focus. You have a, a constitution that you you know live by. Has your philosophy changed over the years from those early days where you thought this is what I'm going to do? Are you more conservative now? Are you more of a risk taker now? How do you assess y- your own performance? I'm less. Uh, I am more conservative now. Right. Uh, I think it comes automatically because any starter of a business needs to take some risk to come mm. up. And uh, like any other successful businessman, right. they would want to, they, they have to, they have to take a risk to come up to the, to the success point or to the profitability zone of their businesses for some time. And then they would not take uh, any risk unless they have done a proper risk assessment, uh, carefully studied uh, projects and go ahead with the next step. So yes, I've become a little bit more conservative, but I'm not too conservative because if you're too conservative, then you cannot be a businessman. Uh, conservative could be good, provided that uh, that helps you to do your proper studies, uh, figures, numbers, uh, risk assessments. Uh, yes, uh, that is, I think, needed hmm. before you go ahead and do anything. You're very much a person, it seems to me, who appreciates the experiences that yeah. you've been through and the the connections that you have the relationships the friendships that you have and you it, it seems like you you hold those very close to your heart you've learned from them um what about your own your, your children you mentioned your children briefly uh, earlier on much of what you've built and i guess learned you're going to want to pass on to your children in some way what do you see as the future for your own kids in respect of the business, the family business? I see good future, to be honest. Right. Because now, when they come, they're going to find an organized company, well-established, organized, well-structured. Uh, all the foundations have been put in place. The infrastructures are there. Mm. All they need to do now is maintain and grow. And with the helping hands of my managers, them knowing me very well and my philosophy in business, um, of course, I will also be educating my, uh, my, my children when they come and teach them from time to time. I would not be teaching them basically the, the operation of business, the day-to-day operations of business, but I'll be teaching them the other stuff, the more valued stuff, how to read people's uh, attitudes, minds, how to, uh, how to handle customers, how to approach a person, when to talk and when not to talk. Uh, that's a lesson that's, to learn. That's absolutely a lesson because they are all in a rush to give you an answer. They are all in a rush to speak. You don't want them that. You want them to digest the conversation, understand why you have come here in the first place. Uh, those are the things that I want to teach my kids. My part of the philosophy, my part, my skills, personal skills, uh, these are the things I want to teach them. The operational matters, they can be taught by the managers in the office, in the warehouse, in the logistic departments, by traveling, meeting people. Mm. But people actually look at you and they value you when you start speaking. That's when a person understands the other person very well. 
so those are the the values I want to teach my daughter and my uh, my four sons hopefully in the near future. Are they interested in the family business? Yes, they are. At least uh, Mohammed is very interested. He might join I think in the next uh, six months, four months time. Okay. He's in the he's working in a bank now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mohammed has already worked in Emirates Logistics uh, airline department, uh, logistic department in the warehousing facilities, which is a good uh, place for him to be to understand our business. And now he's in a bank like his father. So I put him in a bank. Uh, I wanted him to be where the money is. And uh, I think he's learning there. And when he comes here, I think he will understand more the business, on more detailed if I, if I know. My daughter is also interested, but she doesn't want to come now. She wants to come later. I don't mind. I said, whenever you want, even if you want to do a part-time job, you're most welcome. Uh, the others, uh, they need to grow first, and right. then, and then uh, they will decide. So, yeah, they do want to. But they all have to start at the beginning. At the, they the... all have. Mohammed has already been in the company three times. He has done oh, okay. summer. When he was in the college here, mm-hmm. in the American University, he was uh, coming in the summer for two, three months. And he was in the warehousing facilities. He's done the invoicing. He's done, uh, he's done the groundwork already. But probably now he will be with the line managers going out and coming back, visiting customers. With him being a UAE national, I think that gives a little bit of a value that uh, not just because he represents his father, but he is also representing a UAE national business, especially for our clients like governmental subsidiaries, Dubai Municipality, Diwa, Adnoc, uh, Siwa, they are all customers of Middle East Fuji. So when he approaches, when a local speaks to another local, I think that basically brings the chemistry between the other, between the two. So That's important, I think. I think it is, yes. For, for, for a sector of our business, plant mm. machinery, industrial solution, mm. most of our customers are based locally. So Mohammed is going to probably have a good opportunity with, uh, with a very successful manager we have here. Uh, who was in charge of the industrial solutions. Saeed, can I ask you about spiritual capital? Now, Arch, the people behind this podcast, are a family business advisory, but this is something that they advise businesses on. And it's a kind of hard concept to grasp, but it's essentially where, I guess, the financial, the family, the social, the human, and the values meet in a business. I just wonder if you can elaborate on that just how important is the idea of spiritual capital in your business okay i think uh, i think the answer is not very difficult because uh, what uh, are the factors which you have mentioned uh, Mm. the family values the spiritual activities the financial financial or the leadership it all comes together in a package and uh, if you have all of them together your business will successfully sustain and maintain. These values are very important, I think, in any business, especially in family businesses. The family businesses, you want that link to be there between all the four factors you mentioned. There's an ethos, isn't there? It is. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's because the family value has, it comes from the religion, it comes from the culture, mm-hmm. it comes from the family tradition also. It all comes together. And when you combine these values all together, and then with the leadership and all, which you can pass on 
to your sons and kids mm-hmm. in the future. I think it holds together the the business strongly. If you have a few of them missing, there is always a fracture in the structure, I think. You need to combine and have them all together and then you will have a strong foundation for sustainability of your family business for a long term. Sayyid Al-Malik, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us on The Value Legacy. You're most welcome. Thank you. I enjoyed it too. It was fun. <laughs> Thank you. Saeed Al-Malik on episode two of The Value Legacy, Vinod. What really stood out for you when you listened back? What was fascinating for me was when Saeed mentions about his father's wealth uh, in the early 70s at 180 million dirhams. Took your breath away. <laughs> it did. And, and as he said, in today's value, it should be 1.8 billion dirhams. Um. He he then goes on about his father being aggressive in business. Mm. So, so from our practice, we define entrepreneurship and inheritance in two words. Entrepreneurship is about wealth creation. Yep. Inheritance is about wealth preservation. We found that most entrepreneurs take on risks for their capital growth. And as the company stabilizes they need to be a bit more conservative and not risk everything that they've built. But in this case, as I mentions, his father must have taken one too many risks at that point to have lost some of his wealth. But that is rubbed off on Said, who is an heir to his father's legacy. So he, he was conservative all through as a wealth uh, creator, although he was entrepreneurial and a wealth creator. And he saw the same features in the Japanese family business that came and partnered with him. In fact, he keeps saying that. Uh, he said the Japanese told him to be very careful and not mm. rush into uh, decision making. So uh, I think those are the two key takeaways for me from this conversation. It was really interesting that he was so focused I thought as well he was a man that knew from a relatively young age kind of mid late 20s that this is what he wanted to do that's what I got from it as you've heard he's a very very focused person and and he believes in achieving his goals from the moment he thinks about uh, setting that goal for himself he wants them done over the weekend (laughs) it's one of those guys so um uh, he's, a, he's a very impressive man, and I think he would be a good role model for a number of Emirati businessmen, uh, and, and probably across the globe. Syed Al-Malik, our guest on episode two of The Value Legacy. Episode three is out soon, wherever you find and listen to your podcasts.